Would you bow your heads in prayer? Lord, work in our hearts this day with your love, with your grace, and give birth in us grateful, generous hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Now I want to, I have, if you can believe this, I've been a pastor for 36 years. I have preached just a few stewardship sermons. Led a couple of capital campaigns in churches. And you know, over the years, in each place, there has been somebody who has come and, they're, they're, and talk to me, and they're usually people who, who really love the church, really love the Lord, who really have a desire to increase their giving. And the reason they can't, or they come to me, is because they can't. And they're upset. Sometimes they even have tears in their eyes because they, they see other people being able to give what they think are generous commitments or gifts, and they think, or they're upset because they can't. And it can be any number of reasons, the loss of a job, they're on a fixed income, a, an illness in the family. It, it, it varied. And as I've had these conversations with people, I realized that um, many of us, have the wrong idea about what constitutes generosity. We think that generosity has to do with the amount or the size of the gift. And we think, I don't have much, I can't be generous. Well, what I want to say to you today is generosity is not about the size of the gift. Generosity has to do with the heart from which the gift is given. Now, I, 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 could, I want to take you to a couple stories in Scripture. One, you know, Jesus and his disciples were outside the temple and they're watching as people come and they give their gifts to the poor at the temple in Jerusalem. And while they're watching, this woman comes up and she takes two small copper coins and puts them into the alm box, into the offering plate. And Jesus says, this is his words, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. What Jesus is showing us is that where this woman's heart is, that this woman's heart belongs to God. And out of that heart she gave. It's another story. It's in, it's in 2 Corinthians 
chapter 8. And Paul is doing a capital campaign. It's one of the capital campaigns that occurs in Scripture. There are a couple of them, actually, if you didn't know that. And he's going around to all the churches that he's planted, and he's collecting money for the saints in Jerusalem because they're in the midst of a famine and they're starving. But Paul makes a decision. He's not going to go to the churches in Macedonia. That's kind of northern Greece because of how poverty-stricken they are. But then to his surprise, those poor churches beg Paul. This is a pastor's dream, by the way. Beg Paul for the privilege of being a part of the offering. And I want you to look at what Paul says about it. In, severe, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, it's a heart issue, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And a few verses later, he really gets to the point. He says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. Their heart belonged to Jesus, and then by the will of God. Us. When I was pastor in Texarkana, right after the Soviet Union collapsed and the Cold War ended, Texas took a mission trip to St. Petersburg. And we had two high school students that raised money and went along on that. And when they came back, they said, Pastor, you know what really got to the people in Russia about us being there? I said, no, I don't know. I said, it was the fact that we weren't getting paid. They couldn't believe anybody would do this without getting paid, that in fact we had paid in order to come. They were touched by generosity. Now, the question we have to ask today is, what makes for a generous heart? And let me tell you, grace, God's grace, is the first ingredient. See, grace is his undeserved love. It's his undeserved generosity to us, and I didn't put this in the sermon, but I want to say it right now. One thing we're going to learn in all this, you and I cannot, cannot, will never outgive God. And the perfect illustration of this is the story from Luke 19, Zacchaeus, right? You know the story, you're familiar with it. Zacchaeus, he, he was a tax collector. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. He was a traitor to his people. He wasn't liked. He wasn't liked at all. He was hated. He used his position not only to collect the taxes of the Romans, but then forced those he was collecting from to pay more than they own and lined his own pockets with it. They didn't like Zacchaeus. Now, you know the story because you you sung the song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree because Jesus 
he wanted to see, right? Well, isn't it amazing when you realize what a scoundrel this guy is, of all the people who are along the route to see Jesus that day, this is the guy that Jesus chooses to focus his attention on. And he comes to the foot of the tree, right? And he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. And then a little later, Jesus says to this guy, Today, salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham. That's grace, folks. That's God's undeserved generosity. And by the way, it's the same grace he shows you and me. It's the same grace by which he claimed you and claimed me in baptism. It's the same grace by which he cleanses us. It's the same grace by which he forgives our sins, which are just as bad as those of Zacchaeus. And that generosity comes free No strings attached. But it costs God dearly. Cost him his own son. So that you and I are redeemed. We're bought back not with gold or silver, but with the holy, precious blood of Christ, his innocent suffering and death, that we might be his own and live under him in his kingdom Serve him in everlasting righteousness and innocence. Grace, God's generosity, changes lives. It's the first ingredient of a generous heart. And the fruit of that grace is gratitude. And folks, gratitude's the second ingredient of a generous heart. Consider transformation that takes place in Zacchaeus. I mean, the crowd's there. They don't get it. They are really flummoxed by the fact that Jesus is going to spend time with this guy. What do they say? They say, he is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. He doesn't deserve it. You know, it's implied in that, that they didn't think they were sinners, that they were deserving, that, you know, because we're in synagogue or we're in church or because of what we give or whatever, we're, we're more deserving. Grace is never deserved. That's what the word means. And Zacchaeus gets it. He knows that what Jesus is offering him is something he could never deserve. That it's a gift of undeserved generosity. And so the Bible says that uh, he hurried, he came down, and here's that word for the heart, received him joyfully. He just didn't have many people, let alone the Lord of all, wanting to come to his house, right? 
And Zacchaeus, then when he got to the house, he stood up and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. See, that's the formula. Grace plus gratitude equals generosity. Jesus never told Zacchaeus, you must make restitution. The blessing of the Lord wasn't dependent on what Zacchaeus did. It was given freely. Jesus never said, Zacchaeus, you need to give this much to the poor. There were no strings attached with the gift that Jesus gave. No, what Zacchaeus did flowed out of gratitude. That Jesus wanted him, loved him, wanted a reward, that salvation had come, a gift that, 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 that Zacchaeus could never have deserved, that salvation had come to him that day. He knew uh, it was all out of the generous, freely given heart of God. Jesus, who came to seek and to save the lost, had that day sought and found him. There was a story I read a few years ago, actually. I found it of, from a pastor, a Lutheran pastor of Michigan who was having a capital campaign. And, and, and I'm going to try to keep to his words. He said, he said, at Christ Lutheran in Michigan, we were meeting together for a banquet to make commitments to the future vision of the church. Tonight, we were going to make our three-year commitments. And that night, one of our members, Janet, got up to speak and tell her story. Now, Janet, he said, had been an agnostic. She wasn't, hadn't been a believer, but she liked Christmas music. So she showed up in church on Christmas Eve, and that particular, one particular Christmas Eve, something in the service really touched her. The Holy Spirit reached into her heart, and so she started coming to church regularly. And believe it or not, she started reading the Bible. And then she started, this is amazing to me, he says, she started reading the Lutheran Confession. She, she read more Luther than some Lutheran pastors have read, which is not hard to do. He said her life changed. He said that night she stood up and she said, I'm going to make a $10,000 commitment to this campaign. But she went on. She said, I, in my house, the roof leaks so bad I have to put out buckets. It makes a better um, watering can than it does a roof. And I've been saving for a long time to fix that roof, but I believe that God wants me to give the money I've saved to that roof to him and to trust that he's going to take care of me and he'll help me save up the money again to fix my roof. The pastor in his, his note says there wasn't a dry eye in the room. 
And he said, I watched as people reached for their commitment cards, crossed out what they had committed, and wrote in something new. Now, you may think that she shouldn't have been allowed to give that gift. As I understand it, they tried to talk her out of it, but she refused. This is what God, she was convinced, wanted her to do. And I, as I read that story again, I thought of Paul's description of the Christians in Macedonia. And I kind of paraphrased that verse just to think about this woman in severe test of affliction, her abundance of joy and her poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on her part. She gave according to her means and beyond her means of her own accord, begging earnestly for the favor of taking part. Now do you understand? Grace, God's generosity transforms our hearts. Gratitude is born. And generosity is the result. Generosity doesn't have to do with the size of the gift. Generosity is all about the heart from which the gift is given. That's my challenge to you today as your pastor and to myself. As you think about next Sunday as Commitment Sunday, and it'll be a little different. You'll drop it in the door, or you'll send it in or whatever than, than we've done in the past because of COVID. I want you, before you even think about what amount you put down in there, I want you to sit down and look at your heart and where your heart is with Jesus because that's really what matters the most. And then ask that God would work in you and in me repentance and renewed faith. So like the Christians in Macedonia, we might first give ourselves to the Lord who gave himself for us. And then, then think about your commitment. Look at what he's given you, and I don't mean just the house you live in or what's in your account, but what he gave for you when he gave his own son. When his son poured out his life into death, that you might be his own. Ask God to guide, and then write down your commitment, whatever it is. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that whether that commitment is big or small by human measurement, if that commitment comes from a heart faith, a heart that trusts in Jesus, then God will count that gift a generous gift. Amen? Amen? Now may the peace of God which pass all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.